my friends, the great experiment. Down on the Lord, thanks, thanks. Hidden trick, trick. Would you look at that? The greatest trick, trick. And you people, you're all astronauts. Some kind of star trick, trick. The greatest trick, Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. You know, this is episode five of Greatest Trek. Five. It's five. I can't believe we haven't screwed that up one time. Yeah. We haven't said the wrong thing. We haven't had to go back and re-record. We're doing great. I mean, I'm I'm starting the show under great concentration. Uh I don't know about you. I don't want to be the first one to blow it. Did you just rocket a ton of caffeine in between records? Because we're recording back-to-back episodes of Greatest Trek today. This is one of those coffee all day days that you hipped me to as a concept. <laughs> I lived my entire life up until recently thinking that you only get the coffee that you get in the morning and maybe in an emergency one in the afternoon. Yeah. But you got me to take better care of myself. You were like, you know, you can have coffee anytime you want and as much of it as you want. Did you know that? Yeah. That's I did a, not. That's classically the path toward healthy living. <laughs> <laughs> and when i need it i really lean in yeah to all day coffee damn i don't want to have that big an influence on you man <laughs> I don't know. you have lots of good ideas i don't have all the answers and that, that's definitely not one of them <laughs> sometimes you just need a different point of view you need someone outside of yourself to suggest a new way of doing things i i've been very conscious of the fact that I'm on the verge of a point in my life where sleep is going to be a uh-huh. a scarce luxury item uh-huh. for a long time. Yeah, and so I've been trying to really relish in my birdie, trying to really <laughs> enjoy the fact that nothing is waking me up in the middle of the night. So what are you doing? So I've realized that I do not have the ability to sleep in anymore. Like. Eight is about the latest I can sleep in a day. Mm-hmm. So the way to get more sleep is to go to bed earlier. Yeah. And so if I crawl into bed at like 9.30, I can easily put 10 hours of sleep down. Oh, that rules. It's fucking great. But every single time I do that, I then have a following night where I slept too much. And then I do like a five hour and 45 minute sleep sesh. <laughs> That is so interesting you say that. I recently downloaded a new sleep app, and I've been monitoring what my sleep does. Uh huh. Do you use a uh, CPAP with your sleep app? No, I don't. I don't need a sleep app. I don't need a CPAP. <laughs> I have a deviated septum. I should probably use one, but I just use uh, nose strips oh, okay. to open up my airway. Nice. But there's not a line to my sleep that is gradual. It is... A sine wave of day after day, good sleep, bad sleep, good sleep, bad sleep. I don't understand how that's the case, but it's what you're describing. Yeah. Has anyone ever gotten two straight good nights of sleep? (laughs) (laughs) So I'll get the thing on the watch where it'll be like, hey, you're doing a great job. Three out of the last four nights, you hit your sleep goal. Feels good. And I have my sleep goal set to eight hours. Mm -hmm. But that one, that fucking one is like less than six hours. That's bringing my average down because my average number of hours is like less than eight. It's 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 like seven and a half on a good week. This perfection pressure 
across every aspect of a person's life. Yeah, I, maybe it's bad to measure this stuff. Like, I, I don't feel like it's I can unhealthy. answer my wife if she asks me, how did you sleep before I check my watch? I don't need another thing to feel bad about missing <laughs> on a score, you know? Yeah. Maybe if we gamify it a little bit more and get in competition with each other, like share our stats and like, oh, Adam's really fucking rocking your ass this week, sleep-wise. Me and my buddy Grant, he is the only person I've connected my fitness app to in a, like, it automatically sends him what I'm doing. He automatically sends me what he's doing. Uh And we reply to everything with the the canned response Mm -hmm. that Apple lets you do, like... uh, like you're really winning the day or <laughs> or like just a bunch of of zoomy lightning bolts <sighs> if he took a walk for example oh my God. it's great it's very it's very motivational yeah those canned responses are like if a gap had a personality what you need to do is make your own canned responses mhm mhm my buddy phil has one that goes like uh you know i don't really want to do that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Which is great. Sounds like Phil. Ben, what are you going to set your new sleep goal at post-baby? I don't know. Probably like four hours, right? I'm guessing that it will be so laughable that I just won't even want to. (laughs) Your watch is going to jump off the nightstand. Yeah. (laughs) Once it starts getting the metrics. Yeah. We had some friends drop off some, you know, there's like newborn clothes and then there's zero to three clothes and- their, sure. their baby was really big when she was born, so none of the newborn clothes were of any use to them. And so they were just like, oh, we're just going to bring it over to your house, and it's your problem now. Like, you can throw it away or give it away or whatever, or use it. We don't care. That's just the classic, I'm donating things mm-hmm. to Goodwill, and I'm using quote fingers here when I say this. That should actually be thrown out. <laughs> I mean, like, this is all, like, new or, or like, r- very lightly used stuff that other people gave to them under the same auspices. There's just kind of a a waterfall of baby products that, you know, obviously we're very fortunate to have friends that are in a position to donate stuff like this to us because uh, mm-hmm. it's really expensive. But the point of the story is when they dropped off, it was uh, the dad of the two that got out of the car and brought it up. And he, like, knocked on the back door of the house and I like couldn't figure out why and he just seemed like shifty and like distracted and I was like hey man how are you okay how you doing and he's like yeah man we're just not sleeping a ton but it's great it's it's amazing (laughs) lies that's not a person that's doing well he just goes and and lays underneath your garage door and hits the button yeah I was like this is me in two months time that's what I'm gonna be like (laughs) <laughs> so I'm excited about what's going to happen to our shows. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm it, again using the finger quotes. Mm-hmm. Th- this is the uh, you know it's like Ray Romano reinventing his stand-up career. <laughs> There's going to be so many premises, so many bits, Adam. Yeah, I can't wait to chop it up with you. I actually did, uh, Adam, in the run-up to the arrival of this baby, and I guess by the time this episode is out, the baby should be. Should be here. I mean, if it's not, (laughs) that is an overcooked baby. But we're recording a lot ahead of time so that we can take some time off. That baby's coming out with crispy skin if it's not out by now. But I had a bad bit moment, Adam, and uh, I thought I might share it with you. Wow. All I do is bits, bits, bits. No matter what. 
You're always doing bits, bits, bits. No matter what, you're always doing bits, bits, bits. I was doing bits. Bad bit moment. Bad bit moment. Greatest trek is getting all the mare in love lately. So one of the things that was recommended to us was getting stem cells from the umbilical cord. You can collect them and you keep them in a cryogenic facility and you just have to pay like a a monthly fee or something to to keep them. And then if a disease ever arises where that might be necessary to treat with stem cells, they can get them out of the uh, umbilical cord. And so I was calling the uh, company that does this to set this up. And the lady on the other end of the line just wanted to like make sure she had all the name right. And so, and she was like going through like my personal identifying information. And she said, okay, and it's uh, Benjamin Harris. And uh, that is spelled uh, B E N J A M I N H A R R I S O N. And I said, well, you spelled it right. <laughs> and she was like, Jesus. <laughs> All I do is bits, bits, bits. No matter what. <laughs> it's like, Deborah, we only roast the ones we love. I was just, I was just playing with you. I was, I wasn't trying to harsh you. Wow. You have the spelling of my name right. It's Harrison, not Harris. And uh, what are you doing? <laughs> the, uh, the we only roast the ones we love line then got me accused of flirting with her by my wife after the call. <laughs> oh, jeez. I was like, I was like, come on, like, I'm, this is like a. I'm just talking to her over the phone. I'm trying to keep it light. It was doing a bit. <laughs> you should be nice to people in the medical community doing medical things with you. <laughs> I, no bits on on medicine, maybe. I, yeah, but I was it, it wasn't I wasn't trying to slam her. <laughs> she got the spelling right. <laughs> I, I was focused on what was good. <laughs> Who cares if she pronounces it correctly? As long as the information goes into the computer correct. You're going to get the wrong stem cells, dude. Yeah, yeah. I wish I had the excuse of I'm not getting enough sleep. You're going to get the stem cells for the Harris baby. <laughs> it's going to be very confusing. Jeez. Mm, ben, I would join you with the bit comp. I went to open my bits list, and what is there is two lines. <laughs> Line one says, the pitcher. Uh -huh. Line two says, the bed. Wow. I have zero idea what those are in reference to. <laughs> You're going to have to put a little more context down next time you write down a, a bad bit moment. <laughs> when I wake up from a dream bit, I really need more detail. When I <laughs> write these down in my dream bit journal. Yeah. Your dream bit journal is going to sell a million copies, buddy. I just know it. Maybe it'll come to me at some point. Well, I failed on many fronts this week, but uh, let's see if this episode fails, Adam. We've got uh, a certain type of dream bit to talk about today. <laughs> sure do, Ben. Coming up next on our coverage of Star Trek Lower Deck Season 3, Episode 5, Reflections. The bunks are really the coffee shop and friends for Lower Decks, right? This is going to be a place where we start our show. Yeah, that in the repair bay. Yeah. I would say Rutherford is the uh, dreamer in question, and he is not having a pleasant dream. He's having a nightmare. Yeah, nightmare about a uh, an engine going critical. We see it from a POV, so it's his hands dancing over 
the uh, L car's interface and I'm like looking up at this engine as it overloads. And uh, in the reflection, we can see that he has two eyes. He's not uh, Cyber Rutherford in this dream. Yeah, I didn't recognize him with that second eye. (laughs) Yeah, who is this strange man? Looked weird as hell. Yeah. When the engine explodes in front of him, he snaps awake. Yeah. And uh, this is a moment that shocks Fedorov, who is yet again walking through the bunks area after having taken another shower and almost dropping his towel again. Is Fedorov jacking off in the shower? Is that why he's always in there? Hey, Fedorov, is this some kind of weird kink? You like the feeling of the sonic vibrations on your dong? You like the feeling of uh, exposure to your crewmates walking around in that little teeny towel? (gasps) (gasps) An old roommate of mine, one of my best friends, one of my longest suffering friends, was a two showers a day person. What? A morning and an evening. Wow. I've never met another person who was two, except like outside of the workout context, like I'll shower a couple times a day with cause, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but this was a daily thing. Wow. And he'd probably shower a third time if he'd worked out during the day. I had a roommate in a summer session in college. I stayed one summer to like get a couple of classes. Like I took like a few summer classes because I needed the credits or something. And I maybe just didn't want to like go live with my parents for a few months. (laughs) (laughs) Careful. They're viewers. I managed to stay in my same dorm room. And I think one of my roommates stayed with me, but then we got two new roommates. And one of these dudes that moved in with us took like two hour long showers where he'd like go into the bathroom. You'd hear it running the entire time he was in there. And then he would come out and the room was like completely disgusting smelling. It smelled like a gym. It didn't smell like he was shitting in there. It smelled like BO. And I couldn't figure it out. It was like like he was taking these like incredibly massive long showers. And you would think that that would like wash away whatever was generating this. But it was like, it like infused the room. And you... And it was just like super annoying because for a quarter of your waking hours every day, the bathroom was like completely (laughs) unusable because of it. Ben, I got to tell you something. Mm. That roommate wasn't showering. (laughs) That roommate was into steam play. I think he was doing whatever Fedorov is doing. That's what I'm saying. Steam is the bag and belt without the bag and the belt. Yeah, it really is. You're lowering the oxygen level in the shower in the showering area yeah, and turning it into a place to blast. He was making bad smells and sticky floors. When Rutherford wakes up, you know, he's usually so optimistic, but you see him in bed. He is really unsettled by this dream. Yeah. And we've seen glimpses of this dream in episodes in the past, like little vignettes of it. This is probably the most we've ever seen. Yeah, it's very upsetting. Seems like this is a... setting up an episode that we will be doing some of the exploration of this finally. But when we come back from theme, the Cerritos is at Talgana 4 again, a planet that I believe we visited in season one. Yeah. This where they, they like had to get the drunk Klingon guy to the diplomatic event. That's where it was. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, 
Boims and Mariner have pulled a shitty job, which is they have to go work the Starfleet recruitment booth while the ship is in orbit here. Oh, the recruitment booth, no! Well, someone's got to do it. I don't think Boiler minds that much, but Mariner fucking hates this gig. What I really like about this concept is that it's not just an interesting and funny idea. (laughs) It is an interesting and funny idea from people who have done this before, clearly. Yeah. Because the details you get when they're loading up this shuttle, like, I've seen all this gear before. I've been on the booth end of a job fair. I've been involved in work like this. Was this for a major aircraft manufacturer? No, this was the job before that. Oh, okay. But it was so familiar. Yeah. The whole deal, the works of it. Yeah. That that you couldn't know this unless you had... The reps. I went to a job fair once looking for a job and just felt like a bug getting smashed repeatedly. Like nobody wanted to hire me. Yeah, I don't understand who this is supposed to benefit. Yeah. Seems like a huge amount of time that it, and, and resources that are spent on maybe hiring somebody with no skills. Right. This is a dreadful job for Mariner and... When we cut over to Rutherford, we see that uh, his bad night of sleep is having an effect on his duties. He's under the shuttle, and he's just barely hanging on from yeah. fatigue. Uh, Ow. You okay, Rutherford? Equipment is falling out of the shuttle, dropping on his face, and Tendy feels really bad for him. And she scans him and uh, realizes that uh, it may be that his cash is full up. And so uh, she offers to go ahead and purge the cash on his implant for him. And he's like, yeah, let her rip. Yes, anything to help me sleep. <sighs> and done. This is really easy to do. Come on, Grandma, it's not so hard. Just go up to the uh, menu, pull down the little thing, and click clear cash. What do you make of the idea that something about Rutherford's implant allows him to dream of the Kelvin timeline? <laughs> Ooh, the one where you're in a new timeline with Kirk and Spock where they have cinematic chemistry? That line is, is thrown away like so quickly, but the... <laughs> The possibilities of that Mm -hmm, seem mm -hmm. very real. Yeah. I'd like to see them do more with that as an idea. And I feel like this show is the kind of show that could do more with that. Tendy's a great coworker. She's like, I cleared your cash. Go take a nap. Yeah. She'll take things from here. Yeah. And uh, on the other side of the repair bay, Ransom shows up. It kind of puts the fear of God in Mariner that uh, she is not going to go down and just fuck around at the job fair and phone it in. He wants her to come back with a clipboard full of names for Starfleet to enter into its database of people to try and recruit. There's nothing as soul-crushing as a quota. And the idea that she not only has to go down there to sit at the booth, but like needs a certain number of recruits yeah. is so shitty. I mean, and, and this is a threat with teeth. Yeah. If she doesn't deliver the names, it's Starbase 80 for both of them. That place is a hellhole. So the shuttle heads down. With some urgency that it didn't have before, I bet. Yeah. Yeah, they really heated up going through the atmosphere. (laughs) Back with Rutherford. He's in his bunk, ostensibly to take a nap, but sleep is not coming to him. A couple of sparks turn his head appliance red like a pair of Oakley sunglasses. Mm. And his attitude has changed too. 
Yeah, Red Eye Rutherford gets up. He's talking different. He's acting different. He seems a little disoriented. Wait, what's going on here? He sees the shitty nacelles of the Cerritos out that back window and is uh, orienting himself, asking aloud how he got here, and the computer answers. And uh, we realize this, this is a different Rutherford. And in the reflection in the window, we see Blue Eye Rutherford acting like he's a prisoner behind the glass. Refleatherford is <laughs> a character we encounter quite a few times this episode, Ben. Mm, indeed. And he is frustratingly stuck behind that reflection. Yeah, can't do anything about it. Yeah. And Red Eye Rutherford is uh, not sympathetic at all. Feels like Refleatherford has stolen his birdie. Yes. Nah, dude, this is my body. You already effed it up. No, it's not. Whatever, man. Doesn't like this implant either. It took three and a half seasons for me to take great umbrage with anyone talking any kind of shit about the Cerritos. <laughs> it's funny how hearing Rutherford speak this way makes a viewer feel. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He's acting super messed up about it. Yeah. Chill the fuck out. This is a cool ship. Yeah. Leave it alone. Outside the Federation Embassy, it's job fair time. And it's looking like a street market out there, too, because it's outside. Yeah, and they got the uh, the easy ups. Everybody's yeah. got their own tent. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mariner and Rutherford have set up right next to the Independent Archaeologist Guild. Seems like, you know, between uh, Starfleet and the Collector's Guild and the... Uh, you know, the scientists and the archaeologists, every group of humans is represented here. And, uh, you know, Mariner and Rutherford are trying their best to make a, uh, a pitch to a Tellarite guy that walks by about, uh, you, can, you can even do Starfleet not as an officer. And this uh, archaeologist lady is really undercutting their ability to recruit effectively. I wish there were a figure like this in every high school with an ROTC program, you know? (laughs) Hey, pal, you're signing up for seven years in a windowless room. But that's not the way it is. And this really has that military recruiter in a high school vibe. Mm -hmm. Because many of the counter arguments that the archaeologist presents have to do with the great danger of joining a pseudo-naval organization. And many of them are like the same criticisms that fans have leveled against Starfleet over the years when they've noticed Starfleet behaving too militaristically or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, she is just willing to roast the shit out of them. And uh, it results in this Tellarite guy tossing the iPad and and walking away from her. Aw, did I step on your little sales pitch? It's an interesting question, though, right? Like, if you are on Tolgana 4... You don't have it enough so that your your power generators don't need servicing by Starfleet. Right. Like you aren't totally self-sufficient, mm-hmm. but you're looking at this planet and things look pretty good down there. You're walking around eating a turkey leg, yeah. enjoying a nice sunny day outside. Like It's nice. Why would you join Starfleet? <laughs> yeah. I think real sincere explanations for why you would are not funny. So I understand why we don't get that this episode. However, this is an opportunity to make that case that we never get. I mean, I think that the real sincere explanation is that like Starfleet is full of fucked up people. Like they're all, 
they're all badly adjusted, you know? Yeah. Like the well-adjusted people don't join Starfleet. <laughs> Maybe that's it. But when the Tellarite guy walks through and like the rest of the strangers, not the other booth people, but like the people who have questions about Starfleet ask their questions. Yeah. There's a part of me that's like, why would you ever leave? Yeah. Like, unless you're very adventurous, Tolgana 4 seems like a place where you could get a medium amount of adventure, live a good life. Yeah, totally. And not be assimilated by the Borgs. But it also seems like you could get adventure by joining many of these other groups. So also the yeah. ideological underpinnings of Starfleet are there to be criticized. And, uh, you know, if you like crystals, they do mess with dilithium a bunch. Tons of crystals. Mm -hmm. Hey, buddy, you want to be a Borg? What? These are all zero-sum booths, though, too, right? Like, if you get into independent archaeology, you can't be in Starfleet. Just like if you're a truther, you can't be an archaeologist. Sure. And so forth, right? Right. Zero-sum booths is a real nightmare of a scenario. Yeah. <laughs> Back up on the ship, red-eyed Rutherford encounters Ensign Barnes. Hey there, pretty lady. Hey, Rutherford. Over Riff Rutherford's protests, engages with her on uh, when, like, security changes shifts, and he's acting like a real smarm dog and a real asshole to her. You hate to see it. I mean, he's being as mean to, to Ensign Barnes as he was to the ship. Yeah. We like Ensign Barnes. Yeah. Even though Rutherford didn't seal the deal with her, we don't dislike her. No. She, she seems cool. Often in episodes with stories like this, there is a scene where you try to repair the damage. Right. Yeah. Uh, not to cut to the end, but like there is no scene like that here. <laughs> Barnes, we are guessing, is going to be hurt about this for a long time. Yeah, does Barnes just like not like Rutherford anymore after this episode? <laughs> I don't know. This would be hard to recover from. Yeah. Look, you could just tell Barnes, uh, my lens was red. <laughs> it was red. That wasn't me. The lens is red. <laughs> not the same when the lens is red. Yeah. The tension gets ratcheted up when Tendy's name gets dropped. Wait, who's Tendy? Uh, nobody. Never mind. Yeah. And uh, it sends Red Rutherford to the shuttle garage to find her. And uh, he is, you know, trying to get information out of her, trying to figure out, like, what the security situation is aboard the ship. It seems like maybe this is a malevolent alien force that has possessed Rutherford's body. It's really disappointing how easy it is to style yourself as a Rutherford. <laughs> like, Red Rutherford passes as Riff Leatherford way too easily. I mean, yeah, he's just doing his best Ned Flanders and it, yeah. it kind of plays as Rutherford. Jeepers creepers, <laughs> that's swell. But Rutherford uh, really does not like the fact that he's getting in there close to Tendy. So he starts punching his own head and this actually has the effect of sort of causing the implant to go haywire on both of them. Right. When Tendy tries to tricorder Red Rutherford, he shoves her down and... <laughs> I was shocked by the violence of this. I was surprised how shocked at the violence of this I was. Yeah. Like, these are cartoons. But for season after season, they've all been friends and friendly, and the violence has been very mm -hmm. science fiction-y and phaser-y. Right. I didn't like seeing her go down like this. I didn't either. It, it felt bad to watch. I mean, I don't know, like, how you go about you know, setting the viewing age of a show like this, you know, whether it's TVMA or TVPG or whatever. But if you're going to show someone punching their own implant and then punching their friend, I feel like that takes it into a new, a new echelon. Yeah. 
he tries to get out of there, I think, just to get away from Rutherford, right? One of the things that I think makes the shove more palatable is that Tendy does not call security to deal with Red Rutherford. She calls emergency medical to run him down. And that is a way to treat the situation that I think made it better Right. to me. Yeah. We don't ever see that medical team, but it's not the last time a medical team gets called in this episode either. Right. Starfleets tend to assume that when a Starfleet is acting bad, it's a medical reason and not a security reason. Right. Back on the planet at the job fair, we meet the archaeologist next door. This is Petra Aberdeen. And we also get the reason why this person is so opinionated about Starfleet. Graduated the academy, did a tour in the fleet before wising up and getting out. Her story is not super different from Captain Angel's from Strange New World or the character that Captain Angel inhabited before their true identity was unveiled, which is a, a disaffected Starfleet officer, somebody that certainly you know went to the academy served on a ship and just felt like uh they weren't doing the thing that they wanted to be doing so petra changed courses and became an indie archaeologist and you know kind of takes some umbrage at the implication mariner makes that uh you know archaeologists are just thieves or whatever like just because somebody isn't walking around in a uniform saluting everybody they must be a criminal by default Star Trek doesn't do disgruntled ex-Starfleet very much, but it is such a rich type of story, right? Like the Benjamin Maxwell USS Rutledge story of TNG. Yeah, the Calvin Hudson story. Yeah, I feel like every series has a character like this. Right, and they feel really dangerous. Like they feel uniquely yeah. dangerous because they don't just feel like a threat to the characters. They feel like a threat to the underpinnings of why the characters act the way they do. And they know how everything works. Like their familiarity makes them dangerous. Yeah. Up on the ship, Red Eye Rutherford is sneaking around while Tendi, Dr. Katz, and Shax are looking for him. Her name is Dr. Tana. He makes his way to the transporter bay where... He's getting ready to do a transport. And Jacques does that security person thing where he catches him and he's like, well, you're not going to be able to beam out of here because uh, ion field or whatever, whatever. So you can't beam down. You know that, baby bear. Unless you aren't you. Did you notice who was running the transporter room? Was that that Dracula guy? Oh, hi, Lundy. <laughs> I did not transport anyone down. I did not. Yeah. No, it's not true. Don't even ask. Yeah. He gets shoved aside like he's nothing. Yeah. And uh, turns out Red Eye Rutherford did not have his eye on transporting down to the planet, his red, red eye, but rather on transporting to another part of the ship, transports to the bay where the captain's yacht is kept. And uh, this is dangerous because the captain's yacht is a warp-capable ship. Red, red eye. <laughs> Here I am, baby. He looks like me. <laughs> Haven't you noticed this thing is always bugging out? <laughs> he won't leave Barnes alone. No spots go all the way down. Excuse me? I punch myself in the face. <laughs> 
Shax catches Rutherford in the yacht and hits him mm-hmm. with a phaser on stun. And that causes a good amount of wharf lightning to come out of the implant and KOs Rutherford. When he comes to in Six Bay, Dr. Katz tells Tendy and Freeman that uh, what's going on inside him is that the Rutherford of 10 years ago and the one from the present day are in a war over who's going to take over the brain. And they can't really do anything about it. They just need to see who's going to wake up. It could be either one of them. It's devastating to think that once again, Rutherford and Tendy would have to become best friends all over again. Yeah, she's really feeling it. We see the insides of this brain pretty quickly uh, when uh, young Rutherford, who has the same speech patterns as red-eye Rutherford, wakes up and meets old Rutherford and uh, explains to him what they're in. They're sort of in the clip show device, in the matrix, if you will. I thought it wasn't real. Your mind makes it real. Young Rutherford is like really pissed off. He's like, he's felt trapped. He's felt the real him was pushed to the background and unable to do anything for the last several years. He doesn't like this. No. It's like he's cool, but he's a jerk, but he's like a jerk about something that he has a really legitimate gripe about. It's it's a very complicated character because like he's not likable. You don't like him, but you also totally feel for him. I mean, he is kind of a version of the archaeologist figure that we see at the job fair. Like this is a version of Rutherford that does not join Starfleet if this timeline is long enough and instead maybe designs ships and engines for someone else. Right. For illegal racing, specifically. Right. Because he's a, an academy cadet, and he takes old Rutherford to the garage where academy cadet Rutherford developed this illegal race ship. This isn't a ship. This is a seat strapped to an impulse engine. Yeah, baby. Pretty cool, right? <laughs> says that he paid for all this by winning these races through the neutral zone. Illegal, like, high-stakes starship races i mean i would take a series about this yeah yeah like you know how like uh like uh, that show on uh, discovery channel about like moonshine uh-huh like the first few seasons it would have like the moonshiners but it would also like do like ride-alongs with cops that try to arrest moonshiners and it kind of strained credulity because you're like couldn't the cops just ask the documentarians where the moonshine <laughs> is getting made because they're like Hanging out with both groups? <laughs> yeah. It almost makes you question their intentions. Yeah. Like, is this even real? Is this real life? But yeah, so th- the other thing that uh, young Rutherford explains is that uh, now that he's uh, talked old Rutherford through all this, he is ready to take back over his own body and sort of a beam of light appears from the ceiling and He's going to ascend up it into consciousness, into being Rutherford anew. And old Rutherford grabs him and they get in a great big Star Trek fight. It doesn't last too long because, I mean, under the current circumstances, they could Star Trek fight forever. What they need to do is figure out the terms of the conflict. Like, how do you decide which Rutherford's going to win? Yeah. So they decide to have a contest. A shipbuilding contest and a race. A race war, if you will. Mm. <laughs> it's just an easy way to think about it. Race war is a very clean, easy way to <laughs> solve a problem. Uh-huh. 
So they each get to build a ship. There's also sort of the ticking clock, like there's bangers getting dropped on this clip show space that they're in, Mm -hmm. which is the body trying to wake back up. So they got to hurry, but uh, it's let the best Rutherford win. And at this point, it's hard to conceive of Ruff Leatherford being the winner, you know? Like Red Eye Rutherford just seems stronger and more confident. And like more, has more expertise on this specific right. kind of thing. Yeah. It's really a home field advantage for Red Eye Rutherford. So I'm definitely betting on Red Eye Rutherford is what I'm saying. Yeah. As the favorite. All I do is bet, bet, bet. No Back on the job fair front, things are not going great down there. Every scene that we get seems to walk through another type of job fair booth person <laughs> yeah. to have their scene. And they're all really funny vignettes. The collectors hate them. The uh, the truthers come up and ask them a whole bunch of questions. They know about the nub and bug conspiracy. Like all truthers, they get the facts a little wrong though, right? <laughs> How about when parasites crawled into Starfleet Admiral's butts and took over their brains? Want to come clean about that? Man, I hope that this isn't the only reference to nub and bugs we get in Lower Decks. Like, yeah. I know that it probably will be because they don't tend to go back and rehash something that they throw away a joke like this about. Yeah. But, uh, boy, it would be great if they did. It's such a tease. It's such a tease. We get the montage of shipbuilding where uh, Red Eye Rutherford completes the Sampaguita and Rufflutherford builds the Delta Flyer. <laughs> I was confused by this. Like, I don't understand the reference of like building a ship in honor of a podcast <laughs> that a couple of Voyager actors have. Yeah, that's what's happening. Am I making any sense here? I mean, cool. I guess it could have just as easily been a uh, Greatest Trek class ship. Yeah, it seems like that's kind of a missed opportunity here. But these are uh, the two ships that are going to race. Red Eye Rutherford really roasts Ruff Rutherford for his lack of creativity. Oh, my God. Hang on a second. Is this a Starfleet design? Except he's so wrong because the Delta Flyer looks so much better than Red Eye Rutherford's like shopping cart bolted to <laughs> warp engines ship. His ship looks like shit. Yeah. I wish it was cooler. Yeah, I mean, the race sequence really excited me and felt like it it almost felt like the show setting up a downloadable iPhone game. Mm -hmm. Do you remember like when uh, episode one of Star Wars came out, there was like a pod racer game for N64? Yeah. Which was like a really fun racing game. Yeah. And I I was like, fuck, like a, a lower decks racing game would be really cool. Except for we only have two examples of ships that would be appropriate for it. I mean, you came up with a great name for it. Star Trek Lower Decks presents Race Wars. Right. It's right there. Right under our nose. Yeah. Hopefully the Race War will sponsor this podcast, you know. Yeah. It'd be nice. Happy to give them a plug. Yeah. We need to score a lot of black fast. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. 
and they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab and go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for Below the Belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscapes.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Down on the planet, the uh, outpost scientists are roasting Boimler, making fun of Starfleet uniforms. This guy actually thinks the uniforms are cool. They are cool. That is just a bridge too far. Boimler does not care for that, and he kind of hulks out. <laughs> Without Starfleet, none of you would exist! <laughs> Hold 
Old Boimler becomes Rage Boimler, and he like flips the table, and he's like tossing stuff left and right, screaming at all the different guilds and groups. And we see Petra take note of this chaos going down and run off toward a museum in the background. They threw his pip, Ben. Yeah. You can't throw someone's pip. And then it gets ground into the dirt like a cigarette butt. <laughs> it's so insulting. Yeah. Little uh, cameo from the Alamorain guys. Yeah. I love seeing them. Did they have any clon pigs in their booth? Oh, yeah. They had a booth full of game pieces. Yeah. They had the game of buttholes on their booth. Yeah. I mean, that was a nice shout out for us. <laughs> His meltdown is actually attracting interest to the Starfleet booth. Yeah. In an interesting way. Yeah. People are like, hey, what's up? Like, this guy's really passionate about his work. Tell me about what it's like to be in Starfleet. Yeah. And so Mariner capitalizes on this. While Boims is going ape, she starts really talking up Starfleet and getting people signed up. And back in the race, a Romulan warbird has decloaked and started firing at both ships. And Red Eye Rutherford really thinks that this is advantage Red Eye Rutherford, implying that uh, Ruff Rutherford is not going to be equal to the task of both you know, dodging and weaving and also completing the race. But what Red Eye Rutherford failed to anticipate is that Riff Rutherford also has his whole team there with him in the race. I got a question. Mm. I don't want you to think about it. Just answer. Okay. Just answer, damn it. All right. I'm ready. Is the Romulan Dideridex class ship one of the coolest ships in all of Star Trek? Yes. I think it is like top two. It really is. It's so good. The scale of it compared to these little shuttles too is like it's shot so close. It makes it look so enormous. They always look big, even like when they're nose to nose with the D, which is like a comparably sized ship. They just look yeah. so imposing and scary. It rules. Yeah. I would say that they're on par with the D as- I think so too. Among the coolest ships that Star Trek has ever made. I think the D is number one, yet to be knocked off the pedestal. And I think the other D, the double Ds, the Dideridex, <laughs> is in second place. You love to see the Romulans dump out those double Ds. I know. <laughs> I love to see them. Yeah. Zooming all across the screen, mm. getting real up close. Yeah. It's big fun. And uh, having the whole gang there with him helps Riff Leatherford get the shields put up the way they need to be and they zoom out ahead of Red Eye Rutherford's ship. Isn't it sweet how Rutherford's imagination could think of anyone to be his crew and it's Mariner, Boimler, and Tendi here instead of like three Datas? <laughs> <laughs> Which could have been his crew. Yeah, it really could have been. Uh, yeah, it's uh, very endearing. Yeah. Down on the planet, Ransom walks up to the job fair, kind of expecting to find a Mariner and Boimler that he can punish even further. And what he finds is a Mariner with a thick stack of sign-up papers on her clipboard, a line out the door of their easy up, and uh, a bunch of very intrigued aliens, including chaotic bros, chicks with boob windows, just everybody you want to see. Yeah. They're all here. Everyone is here. 
Ben, I want to go back to that scene in space. I'm sorry. I got something stuck in my head. I need to get out. Okay, let's go back, bud. Here's a question about that Romulan ship attacking Red Eye Rutherford. Mm. If this is all imaginary, yeah. who conjured that ship? Ooh. Why is it there? Because like at the starting line- Yeah, he says he like randomized the route to make it fair. Yeah, I mean, is that- the suggestion is that this is the simulation is programmed, but we're told that it's imagined. Yeah. yeah. So does Rutherford have the power to have imagined that? It doesn't seem like he did. No. I don't know. Maybe it's being run on the implant itself as like a third party yeah. thing that's neither one of them. That aspect to it seems like something that neither of them made happen. Yeah. So Ransom also finds Boims going around breaking people's promotional pencils in half and flipping people's booths over. And mm-hmm. like it, it's pretty clear that Bold Boims has been on this rant for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, depending on the perspective, like anything, it, it's either not a good look or a great look. You can't argue with the recruiting numbers. Yeah. So it's an interesting inversion where Boimler's going to be in bigger trouble than Mariner. Mm hmm. But it is what it is. And back in the race, it looks like the Romulans have destroyed Red Eye Rutherford's ship. But uh, the gang does the emergency beam out and he materializes post-explosion in the Delta Flyers transport pad. And he's really like bloodied up and everything disappears and we're back in the white space. And Red Eye Rutherford is uh, feeling sort of uh, remorseful and realizes he remembers something else about how the implant thing happened and takes Rutherford into that memory, which is the memory of the thing that he was having the nightmare about. The engine prototype exploding and bloodying up the side of his head and then some shadowy Starfleet figures, you know, deciding to uh, put this implant on him and talking about how they're intentionally erasing his memory. Yeah. This is a figure wearing a TNG era com badge, specifically. That's about the only thing you can see on this person. Yeah, some kind of cover-up going on, and Rutherford is at the center of it. Red Rutherford finally dissolves and dies, leaving the real Rutherford there to step into the light, the light that takes him back into consciousness and in control of his brain. And when he wakes up, in Six Bay, Tendi is about as happy as we've ever seen her. Yeah, really sweet. The button on the episode has to do with Ransom and Kayshawn walking Boims to the brig. And ordinarily, a, a perp walk to the brig is a bad thing. But the way it is contextualized here is that this is a character building moment, like a character building punishment, really. Right. That seems like it's more of a win than a loss for Boimler. I was impressed. Really? Oh, yeah. Let's grab a drink when you're out. Yeah, that force field goes up across the aperture of the brig, and Boimler is in, like, a great mood because it sort of seems like he has earned some of Ransom's respect in a way. Yeah. And they're doing their their classic hangout with one of the gang while they're in the brig, but Mariner's on the outside this time. Rutherford's looking through old Starfleet records trying to figure out who it was behind the cover-up, you know, telling his friends about his adventure. 
Ransom was in such a bad mood at the beginning of the episode, and now he's in a great mood on the perp walk. Do you think he fucked a churro between then and now? Yeah, he does seem like he's in a churro refractory period yeah. toward the end of this episode. But He probably smells of cinnamon. That's A or B story, you know? Yeah. So Mariner has to uh, do the mission log for this one and heads back to her bunk and is working on it when she gets a FaceTime from Petra. Wow, no thank you. Wait, don't hang up. You were right. About what? I was only being a pain in the ass because I needed a distraction. Petra is calling to tell Mariner what she did when she went off to that museum. She stole the Grand Nagus's walking stick, which I guess she's selling back to the Ferengi. Right. They had to be missing that. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, but she also sort of offers an olive branch, like, hey, if uh, if you ever get sick of Starfleet, maybe the Indie Archaeological Guild would be a good fit for you. And Mariner sort of politely declines, but then decides to save Petra's contact. Who recruits the recruiter, Ben? Hmm. Petra. Yeah, that's some real, like, next level shit. <laughs> I think it's smart to keep the contact. Job fair inception, man. <laughs> If for no other reason than to prevent a unknown caller from calling you, save the contact. Right. Yeah. Doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Doesn't mean anything at all. Yeah. I'm not worried. No. She's not leaving. Did you like this episode? Yeah, it's big fun. I mean, we've talked derisively about how adept the show is about avoiding bar trivia the episode mm -hmm. every time it like wanders into the star trek cantina <laughs> and gives us the greater star trek universe visually it never feels masturbatory it's not overdone it's just additive yeah instead of a thing that takes over and that's a real magic trick to the show so I like every time they do that. Every time they've done it has felt successful to me. And, and the job fair was just another example of that. I like giving us more of the Rutherford backstory without actually solving the riddle. I like that that's still out there for us. Mm -hmm. But more than anything, this feels like one of the only Rutherford-centric episodes we've gotten in the series where he and his story carried it. And it's, I think, given us an opportunity to really appreciate what Eugene Cordero does for this show. Yeah. Like, he plays a couple of characters here, and it's a reminder that, like, he's got many gears to the voice work, and hearing the differences between Red Eye Rutherford and Riff Leatherford <laughs> talk to each other was emblematic of that. Like, he carried this episode and did well at it. It was a really, really good ep in my mind. Yeah. And uh, I, I like that the mystery's not solved. I want want to know where this ends up. I looked up the name of his ship and it, um, it's a type of flower from the Philippines. And I really like the oh. deepening of his character from that standpoint as well. Like that's not much, but just like the idea that the previous version of him had a connection to a specific culture and... And the idea that like the new version of him without memory might have been robbed of that is like kind of heartbreaking and, yeah. and really adds an interesting dimension to him that I think that I hadn't really considered before. I mean, it feels like a road that is going to lead toward a conclusion where Rutherford must choose between, you know, removing his memories of Tendi in order to get his life back or 
Like, what does he choose? Does he choose Tandy or does he choose a healthy life? Yeah. With all of the questions answered. And has that ship already sailed? Like, right. Yeah. And does like resentment brew if he chose wrong or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. And like the idea that this like very silly comedy show can get at like pretty heavy relationship questions like that is uh is, is pretty interesting yeah yeah i thought it was a really good episode too it really works some funny gags and some uh very interesting storytelling you know what else i really like adam yeah p1s want to go check the p1 inbox out i don't think it is going to be a scandal to say that i like the episodes better than the p1s what but just barely <laughs> Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Then our first priority one message is from Naomi and it is to Jake. The message goes like this. Hey, Han, I am so excited to marry you this year and officially become she who is your wife. Hey. <laughs> I can't wait to start this new chapter of our lives together. P.S. I love you more than Worf hates doors. <sighs> That's a lot, Naomi. I mean, I would hope that you would marry somebody that you love that much because that's an intense amount. Yeah. Congratulations, you two. That rules. Yeah. This is a requested date of before October 14th. All right. And we actually made it. We did it. <laughs> yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. <laughs> um, our next priority one message here is from loving husband Tyler, and it's to beautiful, caring wife Andrea. Uh, this sounds like an apology, just based on the from and the two. <laughs> really great guy, Tyler, and uh, very forgiving wife, Andrea. <laughs> it goes like this. Happy 10-year anniversary, which is the aluminum anniversary. Mm. I couldn't find transparent aluminum. Scotty hasn't delivered yet. I guess our favorite Trek podcasters will tell you that I love you. These 10 plus years being with you is the best part of life, and I feel complete. I'm glad I'm the Culber to your Stamets and not the O'Brien to your Keiko. Wow. Oh. Pretty sweet. There's rules. We got a, a wedding and a 10-year anniversary in the same P1 break. Yeah. Yeah, this is like the Wheel of Fortune clue uh, before and after. <laughs> it really is. Man, well, congrats to everyone in today's P1 section yeah. of the show. All good news. All worth celebrating. Maximumfun.org slash Jumbotron is where you go to set up a P1 of your own. It helps us keep the lights on around here at the show. And it's a great way to get a message out or, uh, you know, promote something or, uh, you know, whatever you want to do. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks a ton. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself in Edward Larkin? I gotta give it to those conspiracy people. The people that know about the nubbin bugs but think they go in your butt. <laughs> the truthers? Yeah. I mean, that's the silliest people in the world right there. God, I had one chambered, but I think I'm gonna go along with you on that. In a perfect future with the access to the information that they have. Yeah, they should know better. Wouldn't you be able to know at minimum mm -hmm. what orifice the bug goes into? You got to get that straight. They don't want good information. <laughs> they do want that information. <laughs> it doesn't want your butt. It does want your mouth. <laughs> Where would the nubbin come out if it went in your butt? 
Oh, it would stick right through your urethra. Oh, oh, <laughs> ow! This conspiracy sucks. See, that's why they're so angry. Yeah, Remick was just like totally relieved. When- Admiral Quinn, <laughs> the whole reason he was able to get his leg up so high for the roundhouse mm-hmm. is that like it relieved some of that urethral pain. <laughs> Just shifting your legs around. Yeah, no kidding. Ugh. Never felt better in my life. Well, we have our hit segment up next, Ben. What? It's uh, What Are They Saying About Us? (laughs) (laughs) Is that what we're calling it? I don't know. I came up with that on the spot. Do you have a name? I kind of like it. I'm not against that as the segment name. Uh, (laughs) I think that's got to have a better name. That's got to have a Star Trek-y name. I think. And uh, I don't know, maybe we can uh, friend of DeSoto source that. If you've got an idea for a name of this segment, why don't you at Greatest Trek? I dig that. This is a a little bit of an older Instagram post, but uh, one that I can really get behind. At Nerdy Girl Fitness 1701 shared the screenshot from our uh, VIP experience during the streaming spectacular (laughs) with her. And, uh, the comment is sarcastic Vulcan salute with Ben and Adam. Love their podcast at Greatest Trek. She's doing the the backwards Mariner style Vulcan salutes uh-huh. in the screen grab. And uh, you, if you go find this post, you can also see what my office looks like. <laughs> hey, yeah, those meet and greets were so fun. Yeah, I'm glad we did them. We did not know what to expect with those, and they just were a real thrill to get to do. So, um, yeah, thanks to. Uh, Nerdy Girl Fitness 1701. And if you'd like to get a shout out here on Greatest Trek, post about the show. Talk about what you like about the show. Tag at Greatest Trek on Instagram or Twitter. Bill is collecting these in our uh, company Slack and we'll pick one to talk about on the show every week. Thank you to everyone who does it. Helps us get the word out about the program. And with that, we're going to throw the pod keys to Wendy Pretty, our intrepid producer who, uh, as of the release of this episode, will have been kind of the only person minding the shop for about a month because I'm going on paternity leave and Adam is going on a little bit of a vacation. First time we've really taken any time of any significance away from the podcast since we started all of this back in 2016. So uh, It's a miracle. I can't believe it. Yeah. And uh, it's the support that makes it possible. Take it away, Wendy. We really appreciate you. Thanks, Wendy. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica. It's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Coming up on Lower Deck Season 3, it's Episode 6, Hear All, Trust Nothing. The Cerritos crew unexpectedly spends a day on Deep Space Nine. All of the original music on this show is by Adam Ragusea. He's got a podcast and a YouTube cooking channel, and you can find those by searching for Adam Ragusea. Nick Ditmore made the show art, and Bill Tilly runs the social media pages for Expert Shimoda. Make sure you're following at Greatest Trek on Insta and Twitter, and use the hashtag Greatest Trek when you talk about the show online. We really love your five-star ratings and when you recommend this show to someone that you know. And we really, really appreciate the members who are giving monthly to help keep these shows going. You can join as a member at MaximumFun.org slash join and get monthly bonus episodes from across the network. Thanks for listening. 
We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.